Hello again, and welcome to this MTG Cast special. I am Chewy of Monday Night Magic and the Manipool, and uh, joining me here is Clues. I'm Clues of Card Advantage and sometimes Monday Night Magic. It's true. They're known by many names. The Shadow Mage Infiltrator and the Dark Confidant, Johnny Magic and the Great One. But really, you just know who they are. We're joined here with John Finkel and Bob Marr, representing the Gamers Helping Gamers charity. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. I figure we should start off. Tell us what Gamers Helping Gamers is all about. Uh, Gamers Helping Gamers is uh, an idea a friend of ours, Tim McKenna, had to find a way for for some of us to give back to the community. Uh, It's an important initiative for us. All of us very much value the the impact that college education can have on on a person's life, and and a lot of us have been lucky enough to be really successful in the games industry or playing magic and things like that, and we're kind of actively looking for a way to give back. Yeah, and, and one thing that's really happened, I mean, everyone knows over the last you know, couple of decades, is just the price of education has been going up and up and up, and how much it's necessary for a lot of people to have careers has also be, you know, been going up and up and up. So a, a lot of people, if they're not you know, born to the right set of parents, you know, if they don't come out of a wealthy womb, you know, it can be very difficult for them. And I mean, one thing about Magic players is, is they're bright people. So we really felt that from within the community, we'd actually be helping bright people who hopefully... You know, could use the health, uh, and so it, it seems seemed like a natural way for us to, as Bob said, give back. Well, it, it's also one of those things. I mean, a lot of gamers that we've run into, or, or John and I ourselves. I mean, our grades in high school weren't that great. I mean, it wasn't that we weren't sharp people; it just wasn't where we applied ourselves. And we found out dealing with the community that that kind of rings true more often than not. Like, you can have some really smart people who just never. I mean, they did what they needed to to get by, but never truly applied themselves. It doesn't make them any less intelligent of a person or that they won't be able to do great things moving on with their life, but it also does preclude them from some scholarship programs out there. So we're kind of trying to bridge that gap, kind of trying to identify a need there that, you know, just because you didn't get through school at the top of your class or the 4.0 or something, there's still scholarship opportunities out there for you. Excellent. Right. Okay, and so we're we're here at the first ever Escapist Expo, where yesterday we had a uh, charity tournament for Gamers Helping Gamers, which is how we lured these two unsuspecting gentlemen to come and have an interview with us. Uh, so uh, I know a little bit later today we're, there's going to be a panel where you guys are going to talk a little bit about the, the, the tournament today or yesterday, but uh, it went pretty well. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw any of the, the, the decks that were in it uh, or... There's Infect deck in it. Yeah, so, so Infect actually took the whole thing down. Which... Mono Black Infect. Yes, Mono really? Black Infect, which is oh, strange. Oh, I, I didn't catch that part. Yeah, yeah so I'll, I'll get the deck list to you a little later on. It's kind of trippy. Uh, but so uh, what? I, I, I know you guys have been involved in Magic for a long time uh, in one way or another. Uh, a lot of folks have left Magic, come back to Magic. You know, it's a fairly common story for a lot of players. Uh, what do you guys think of the current standard environment uh, of what's kind of what, what sets and strategies we're seeing right now. Obviously, standards, you know, about to change a lot. Right. You know, Ravnica's coming in. I guess return to Ravnica. There's going to be, I mean, just dual lands everywhere. Um, <clears throat> the older cards are are going out. You know, standards one of those strides, was those formats where, you know, it, it seems like, so one of my problems with modern, for example, is, again, is the fact that it tends to be a lot of, like, Wizards' biggest mistakes that just kind of, you know, whoever hasn't been banned yet, right? And, you know, some of those, you know, mistakes are, 
in standard now. You know, I mean, I'm not a black infect deck one, but you know, I mean, the format has been you know totally warped by the impacts of, of you know Delver Secrets, Snapcaster Mage. You know, and it turns out that like when you have a deck that wants to Delver Secrets all the time, it's also of course great with Snapcaster Mage. And then we can have with a format like this is sometimes over time maybe you know that won't actually be the deck that's going to win most of the tournaments, but every deck that wins a tournament has built to beat that deck. So it'll be like I remember Wrath, uh, Wrath or Whatever the Living Death playing Nightmare Block was, uh, I mean, this is back like in 98, but, you know, that, that block, I played, like, that, they used to do more like block constructive formats. And, you know, like, the recurring Nightmare Living Death deck was so obvious, was just like definitely the best deck, it was like dominating for a while. And then at the end, there were a couple decks, or maybe, you know, they were also winning, like, there's like Mono Randy Blue started, Creature deck. Mono Blue Creature deck, Randy started working on his, uh, Shard Phoenix for a bit deck. Right. But it was just all out. about the decks that were gonna just, you know, had to beat this deck. And of course, that just totally shuts out a lot of the of the universe. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, I'm curious to see where, where it's gonna, you know, come out. I think we still have another, unfortunately, cycle before the, those cards are gone. Uh, of course, we get to enjoy the modern for a very long time. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, I certainly like the standard environment more so than, I mean, in this earlier in my Magic career, there always seemed to be, more often there was just an obvious best deck or something that. Yeah. You were either playing it or, or trying to beat it. I mean, Delver has kind of moved into that space right now. You're either playing it or figuring out a way to beat it. But I think that happens less often now than it used to. Uh, I mean, at least they're heading in the right direction. And it, there does seem to be more diversity now than there, there used to be. But I also don't know how much of that is just forced diversity. It's just a number of people just deciding, well, there's absolutely no way I'm playing Delver. So right. going out of their way to come up with other things to play. But uh, as my man no, co-host I, I, put it a few days ago, he said it's it's amazing that how ridiculous the format is right now. Because whenever a new card is spoiled or something like that, someone goes, "Oh, that can handle that common blue creature." Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No. And it, it's. I think in general they've been a lot better about not having the one obvious deck. I, I think that probably even in the past, more so the people. Would maybe be a little bit less likely to play the best deck. I mean, I never really played Necrodex, even though you know there's definitely a period where it was the best deck. Um, I did. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me either. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, uh, you know, when we both played Tinker at Worlds, I mean, also a lot of people just didn't discover it. But that deck, I mean, I've never played played very few decks where you just walk into a tournament and you just like play one around and you're like, dude, you have no shot. But, like, you know, it was just like you're just like you know. Every round, it's just like blowout, blowout. Um, and so I think in general, their standard environment, you know, over the last, you know, four or five years has been much better in terms of that. I think that, you know, I mean, kind of, I guess it's fairies rotate out or whatever. And, but now it's, you know, it's just kind of had the, the, this Delver problem, you know. And it's always like the cards that, like, you know, they, that they probably didn't even, like, worry about in testing, right? You know, you know they, they weren't like, oh, I wonder if this blue common, you know, card is going to be the card that's going to be like destroying people in magic for the next you know two years right yeah. i mean maybe snapcast well, much longer modern. Modern. yeah much right. longer <laughs> modern yeah yeah i mean you know you're even seeing delver show up in legacy which is kind of crazy and it's a card that uh, you know when i saw it 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 struck me as uh it's a card that existed because mark rosewater wanted to make a joke about the movie the fly <laughs> and uh, yeah. and now we have this thing that's right. you know just so impossible to deal with so uh, speaking of possible mistakes that Wizards has made, as if they right. ever make mistakes. So uh, miracles, 
in our in our current standard environment, uh, they they brought in miracles because they wanted games to be exciting. They wanted games to be swingy. They wanted to have that level of anticipation that, oh my God, is he going to top deck the miracle? Yes. Have they gone too far? Are miracles too swingy? I think miracles. I think one problem with miracles is actually just the physical process of playing with them. The mechanics. You know, the yeah. card that like every so now every single time you draw a card, like if you actually want to play optimally, right? You have to actually like you know look at it, pause, act as if you're thinking before you put it in your hand. Right? I mean, a lot of people play. Very slowly, anyway. It's a pro- kind of a problem, I think, for spectators in Magic. It's also a problem when you're playing a tournament. And we get the person who, like, wants to, like, you know, just, like, every time, like, oh, I have three lands in my hand, but I need to think for a minute, this, you know, this turn, because I don't want to give that away. And, you know, you can you know, understand it a little bit, right? But it's also kind of annoying when, you know, the like, Wizards does something which kind of puts you in that position where you kind of have to do more of that. Miracles may have gone too far, but I actually think it's really important for Wizards to have the ability to go too far with some mechanics or with some cards. Like, uh, John and I talked about this a little bit on our panel yesterday, where some cards are mistakes, but if they were to, to rein it in so much to make sure that those mistakes weren't coming out, I think we'd lose far more just good quality, interesting cards that come out that that could possibly be a problem. Like, in any set, there's probably 20 cards that could be a problem, and one of them ends up being a problem. But if they were to rein it in any further, we lose all 20 of those cards. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think they have to be allowed that leeway. I think we have to... I mean, yet Miracles may not have worked out the way we wanted it. Like, me personally, the flip cards with, you know, you can see them through some sleeves and things like that, like, it kind of annoyed me, but, like, I, I don't know if it was necessarily design space that they had to go into, but it was an interesting idea. And, and sometimes they do those things and they really work out and they make the game a, a better game than it is today. And, and I really think it's necessary that they have that that wide range to work with. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, this is, again, something we you know we got to yesterday. If, this is true in other aspects of life as well, is that if you're not sometimes making a mistake, then you're doing something wrong. Right? Like, if, if you know, if you play your life to just to not go over this line, then you're just not going to end up getting anywhere near the line, which is where, you know, a lot of the best stuff happens. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, another thing that a lot of players, in, in my opinion, kind of miss, they often say, you know, a card comes out and it's totally broken. They go, oh my god, how could Wizards not know that this card was totally broken? But if you look at Wizards, I mean, the design and the R&D teams, they're, they're a fairly small team, and so the Future Future League, where they're testing these things out, it's a couple of dozen people. If you then release that card into the wild, you now have tens of thousands of people trying to break this card. Yeah, more. So yeah, lots of, of lots people, of stuff yeah. will slip through the cracks, and it's kind of one of those things that happens, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's something I think we all just kind of need to accept. I actually think with the size of the team they're working, they do a really exceptional job working on on magic. And I'm I'm glad that there's occasionally mistakes. I just think we we just end up with a much more interesting game. Like yeah. I don't. Not once the mistakes are identified, I don't like that Delver of Secrets defines an entire format, but I would hate to see what standard would look like if we lost all the cards that came close to that line. Right. So, uh, like I said, you guys have definitely been involved in Magic for a long time. Uh, another thing that you hear players complain about, or love, depending on the player, is the concept of power creep. That cards that used to be amazing and extraordinary are now kind of garbage. Right, so I mean, a, a good example of this is Sarah Angel. Right, Sarah Angel used to be this amazing, powerful thing, and now you have drafters who, when they get done, they've got a Sarah Angel in their deck, and they just leave it on the table. It's not even worth their time to keep. Yeah. It, so, uh-oh. is is power creep a bad thing, or is is it a good thing? I mean, it, to be clear, you mean they 
they, they play it in their draft deck. They might play it in their draft deck, yeah. but it, it's never worth keeping. Or if they crack oh, it yeah, in a pack afterwards, it's like, eh, I don't really yeah, like that. Yeah, it's not very useful and constructed. Um, I, you know, I have two minds about power creep. Uh, I, I think that one thing I don't like is the relative creep and power of the rares and the mythic rares versus other cards. Uh, I, I like them more when the other cards can kind of compete a little bit better, you know, absent, you know, mistakes like Dalver Secrets. Um, you know, I also don't know how much I love the creep of you know, creatures and then planeswalkers versus other spells. Uh, you know, I mean, one thing that's annoying about it is that if you don't deal with them right away, sometimes you just lose, right? Like, I'm playing my creature, it costs three mana, and if you can't deal with it, you're going to lose. Uh, on the other hand, you know, when they have a creep in power, it probably allows them to do a lot more interesting things. You know, kind of like the, the, the space for what's acceptable at a, at a casting cost is much wider, which therefore gives them, you know, lots of opportunities. And, and look, I mean, more people are playing Magic than, you know, I think at 8.4. And yeah, I mean, it's sure it's a game that grows over time, so that's not necessarily that meaningful, but really the rate of change has, my understanding, has gone up a lot as well over the last, you know, three or four years. So I mean, clearly they're doing something that the, you know, the universe of Magic players really likes. And I think that that's probably the most important thing. I mean, outside looking in, it certainly seems like they've re-centered where the power level lies, like putting it far more in the creatures than in the spells, and I actually like that approach to Magic. Um, although I was probably more successful <laughs> concentrating mostly on spells, I actually think the game is a lot more fun. Like, going to a, a local game store, just watching an event getting played out, I think, in general, the people playing are having more time with a bunch of creatures on the table, swinging back and forth and doing things like that than just sitting there with lands in play and, and throwing spells back and forth. Um, but, I mean, it's it, it varies for each person. But I, I like the fact that they've recentered where the power is. Some of what, outside, I mean, what it looks like is power creep sometimes is, is annoying, but I, I actually do believe that they probably have a, a long-term plan for it, and I, I think... I mean, maybe they're just slowly working this up to where the power level of magic cards is going to be. Like, maybe they're just transitioning, and it's not just going to be a permanent power creep, but it's also whatever they're doing to make magic as big as it can. I mean, they've kind of... I mean, there, there's a much larger audience out there than what they're currently addressing that could possibly learn and enjoy magic. And it makes the game more exciting, it gets people fired up, and and if they can manage whatever they're doing, if they can manage to draw more of those people into the game to make magic more vibrant, to make it just a, a larger community, I, I think that's great. One thing that's certainly true is that whenever a new set comes out, right, people get excited when there's a part in that new set that's very powerful. Right. So... You know, with each new set, it's going to turn out that maybe the best cards are going to be a little bit more powerful on average than the ones right before, right? Because if they kind of try to if they try to do it the other way, then, you know, no one's going to be excited at all because you'll be like, oh, all these cards, I don't want to play with any of them. And, you know, so the inevitable, you know, result of that is going to be, you know, uh, you know at least a little bit of power creep over time. You know, uh, I mean, but I don't even know if that's really that much of a problem. You well, know, I mean, you have a format like Modern... Uh, well, where, you know, where, okay, so now we have like a little bit more of the recent cards than the older cards. Is that really a problem? I don't think so. And you form like standard where it's only the last two blocks of cards and, you know, block to block, the changes are pretty small. So it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be really that much of a problem there either. And you also look at a situation where, I mean, there's a large economy centered around magic. I mean, when you're talking about, um, people wanting to buy product or singles and things like that and, People complain about power creep, but then, like, M13 comes out that doesn't really seem to have too many just outstanding cards. Like, on a, on a, on the market level, 
everyone complained because even when the set released, it was there was no real value in just opening the packs for singles, things like that. Or stores kind of had a bit of a, a glut of product because the packs weren't flying off the shelf. So, I mean, you certainly have to balance that. I mean, Wizards of the Coast is, is very, very concerned with the, the health of the everyday game store. I mean, they... Because I also work on, the, on more on the business side of things now in the, in the magic community. And they put a ton of money and a ton of effort in making the local game stores as successful as they can be. And having exciting cards in those packs is a big part of that. I mean, it, it, I mean, it helps the buzz around a new set and things like that, but it also pushes the entire economy surrounding, surrounding magic. So, it can be annoying as a player, sure, that Oh, I have all these cards that I've picked up over the last ten years and they're becoming less and less relevant. But I, I think it's just necessary. Like, I think if everybody looks at the bigger picture, it's it's a good thing for the game. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of new sets, since we mentioned that, so there is a new set about to come out. We're about to return to Ravnica. Are there any cards that have been previewed that you guys just think are great or that uh, you think will really help define what we're going to move into? Basically, we... are there any cards that you would like to bump the value up by $5 right yeah, now? That's, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> so, I've only really looked through the spoilers a little bit and I've done it kind of with an eye towards modern only uh-huh. because you know, because of the fact that I've, you know, the, the next tournament coming up is modern. Right. Um, and, you know, I, you know, so we talked about the power creep, but really, there's not really a ton in there that I'm immediately saying, like, oh, my God, that's just, you know, absurd. Uh, you know, maybe it's one or two cards I think might be a sleeper, might have some corner case applications, uh, you know, that maybe we'll see playing in some decks. There are some cards that are just, like, obviously going to be staples, you know, cards like... Uh, there's a good chance of like abrupt decay. It'll be a, you know a staple card that's to be played in a lot of decks. Because every card in modern costs three mana or less. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, I mean, but you know, there, there's well, I feel like cards that are like broken. For example, like lightning bolt, which is probably like, a little bit too good, but it's never really like a problem card. You know, it's like all right, we all get to this like at the edge of a card to do, but it's not so card that by itself kind of destroys or like warps a format in, you know, in its entirety. And you know, abrupt decay. You know, at, at its worst, is going to be a card like that. And who, I mean, who knows? Maybe it might not even end up seeing that much play because, you know, I don't know. That's a you know path exile to deal with you know bigger creatures, and then you know they just have you know lightning bolt, lightning helix, tribal flames, all these other things. So, but, but, I mean, of course, the really you know the, the really big thing is is just the fact that the you know, the dual lands are back. Right. You know, we're only, I think we're only game five in the, in the first one. Yeah. Um, you know, there are other cards you can look at. You're like, oh, here's a card for like a green or a white mana. It's like a, it's one, it's two one. I don't know what it do. It's like dried militant, the one that uh, if uh, sends if instant or sorcery. Yeah, if an instant or sorcery would go to the graveyard from anywhere, it's exiled instead. Yeah, so I mean, maybe there's you know, it's a little snapcaster bullet. Yeah, it's like a little. I mean, again, the problem is, is that I feel like the decks that play like the one mana two power creatures also want like snapcaster mages, so they can tribal flames you for another five. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that uh, that that red two drop that might see some play in some red decks. You know, it's like two mana two two first strike haste. These are a pretty good creature, and then you know, in, in, in those decks tend to not play snapcaster, and okay, you know, it'll be a problem. But here's the thing: is like these cards that are kind of like bullets. You know, uh, they're you know the decks are playing Snapcast. Only have four Snapcasters. It's not really like a central theme of what they're doing. You know, you know it, it's so it's not like oh like I totally like it's like Core Firewalker, which is like a bullet against a red deck, and it's just like you're, it, it like this is just like 
dominating your entire deck. Yeah. Right? You, you know, you have this cloud. I mean, sure, so I don't know where his name is, the, 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 the red haste first strike two drop. You know, he's, he's a very good creature. He'll probably see playing aggro decks because, you know, he's pretty reasonable anyway, but he's not, like, just, like, sticking at the Snapcaster decks because it's not that there's a Snapcaster deck. It's that every deck is playing Snapcaster, and that's and that's kind of the problem. Yeah, I mean, when I saw Abrupt Decay, I was actually really happy with it, but um, I actually don't, I mean, I don't spend as much time on Magic as I'd like, but some of it was spent on Vintage, and I actually thought Abrupt Decay was a really good card to be bringing into the kind of Vintage arena. Um, I mean, it's just so incredibly versatile or something like that. I mean, if someone, uh, workshop decks are, are widely prevalent in, in, uh, in vintage, but just the fact that even a, a chalice for two, it's not going to counter that. It's just, chalice for two, okay, we're up to pay it. Like, it's one of those things that it's, it's opening up the format a little bit. Like, I actually think it, it serves up a real purpose there, even though I don't believe for a second that's why it was designed. But uh, I actually think it'll it'll play really well in, in some of those old formats. Um, or I mean, I think it'll be great in modern. But uh, so I mean, Abrupt Decay was the first one that I noticed that I, I really got excited about. But like one of my favorite events of the year is actually the Vintage Championships at Gen Con. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure my point of view is certainly skewed. Yeah, there are other cards. So there's you know like, like a three mana four four that like populates right. And it's like I looked at them, you know, and I was thinking like in terms of modern, you know, you have like. You know, Night of the Reliquary, which costs the same is basically just better, right? So, like, you know, I, I didn't even think about that. I don't know, maybe in standard, you know, that'll be good. Well, I mean, if it takes the case to St. Traft and you're I making mean, populate tokens of 4 4 flyers, I mean, it, then it starts to really make a big difference. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, yeah. So, you'll we'll probably <laughs> see decks are trying, you know, to do stuff like that. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> they want the dual lands now, so they work. I've been thinking about this. If you want to populate the 4 4 flying angel token, you have to be able to cast your other guy during combat, right? No, when he exile... attacks you, oh, when he attacks you, oh, oh, that guy. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then that other four four just yeah, the other four four sticks around. around. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Although he's not attacking, right? It's not attacking, but it's permanent. Yeah. Like, okay, I have one that's attacking, and one the other one's forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, other than the uh, the obvious of cards with your faces on them, uh, do you have any favorite cards from Magic's history that, that you know they don't necessarily have to be the best card, but just something that. You know, you remember fondly that you enjoyed playing, even if it's not relevant anymore. I have some, like, least favorite cards from Magic History. Okay. Like, Ar- Arcane Denial. Yeah. Which, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that card. You don't remember? So, you Arcane like Denial that? was one it's of so these... Bad. Well, yeah, it was, it was a very bad card. It was this counter spell. It was in a blue, counter target spell. Uh-huh. But then, being the next upkeep, that spell's controller drew two cards, and you drew one card. So it's card disadvantage. You know, people used to love to play it, right? It's like, oh, I can play it in any of my decks. It's, you know, and, and I, I, it was just like those cards. I was like, I can't believe everyone's playing it. And I, I got, you know, I, I kind of got tricked to treat myself playing it once, you know, in a deck. And then it was just in, like, a, the prison deck, same deck that I played, that I played my favorite deck of all time in Chicago, where I took it out and just played Counterspell, even though it was the only blue card in the deck. So I had four blue cards, and they all just cost two blue mana. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, I, I love that deck, you know, it was, uh, Tithe, I, I, I love that card, I mean, I don't like, Dan Moore, you know, Gay is Blessing, you know, all these, like, fun, you know, again, like, dirtily, like, you know, slowly gaining, you know, a little more ground, a little more ground, you know, I mean, obviously, like, the big ones, you know, Ancestor Recall, but, you know, it comes down to it, like, I feel like, I'm just not big on favorites, you know, like, I just, I don't know, like, I, I just, 
you know, it's like a card gets good, and then, you know, if Ancestral Recall is probably legal now, I hate it, because it's like a stupid card. You know, so it's like probably like double like Snapcaster Mage, well, it's really good, so you like it, but then you're like, well, it's kind of stupid, so, like, I'd like to see it gone. You know, and, and so I think it's, I don't know, and, and also as somebody who, you know, was kind of gone away from where I was at the beginning, where I want to play decks I want to play the most, now I'd like to play decks are most likely to win, you know, it's not like, there just isn't that much in the way of, of favorites, because if it gets, you know, if it's, I guess it be good, but if it gets too good, I want it to be gone, and, you know, yeah, if it's a card that, like, push you towards, you know, one style play or another, that's one thing, but, you know, I'm kind of willing to play anything. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some cards that are near and dear to my heart. I mean, Oath of Druids, just from winning the PT with it, something like that. I mean, I'm certainly nostalgic for it. Or, or cards like Brainstorm, I've always very much enjoyed. Like, I don't think the card's terribly overpowered. It's not Ancestor Recall, but it helps to smooth out a lot of things. Like, maybe it is still so good that anyone playing blue, if they have access to Brainstorm, they end up playing it. So maybe it is a touch too good, but at least it's not well, the punch you in the modern. face good. It's modern because everyone's playing already eight Sacklands. They just banned the Sacklands in Modern. I think that'd actually be a really good thing. But while they have them, they can't have Brainstorm because mm-hmm. it's just too good. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was running the old Mirage Sacklands well. with Brainstorm back in yeah, PT yeah. Chicago. I mean, it was yeah. fantastic back then. But yeah. You know, if they printed those Sacklands and then banned the other ones, I think it would probably be fine. But. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically I can, I remember back to some of the, the cards that I won big events with. Like, and I probably still both very much like Tinker, but cards just too good. Like it's yeah, or it, it's more problematic in that it, it's only played when it's too good, right? Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of cards yeah. you can look at, and no good can come of this. Like yeah, there's no way this card's fair. It's either terrible and it just stays in your box, or something has gone wrong and it's too good. Yeah, so they're probably like a Lotus Petal, right? <laughs> and, and that's basically what, like lotus petals are only ever going to be played in decks that are lame. All right, like you know, now, I mean, I play a lot of lame decks sometimes, but you know, it just you know, like why, right? Like, of course, it turned out like, all right, it wasn't like really that powerful. It didn't get played that much here and there. It crops up, but it's never a card that you know, if the card is seeing a lot of play, then it means that you know the format kind of sucks. And the deck that it's in, you'd rather it was not there. No, it's there are a lot of. Like, I even feel like sometimes I look at a card and I'm like, wow, no good can come of this. If anybody's ever playing it, something has gone terribly wrong. And, and a lot of those cards end up not getting played, but it's still one of those things that those are the cards I actually wish would not get printed. Not necessarily Delver Secrets. Like, I mean, okay, it ended up high on the power level, whatnot, but it's just those random cards that you pick up and like, okay, if someone actually puts this in their deck, I'm gonna, it's going to be really terrible. I mean, if if somebody can make this work, I mean, think about like putting together the pieces in the old cab bloom deck. Like, okay, you've squandered resources and cadaverous bloom and all these other cards. Like, okay, n- no good can come of this. If someone's using it, they're using it nothing fair whatsoever. And that's exactly what happened. Enough of those random pieces got put together in a couple of sets, and all of a sudden, every- everything just broke loose. <laughs> it's all degenerate from there. All right, yes. so uh, <laughs> do do either of you play Commander at all? Are you EDH fans or? Not your format. It looks like a fun format, but I really don't play it very often. And, you know, every now and again, like, at an event, like, I was here, and I was playing with somebody, and she had an extra commander deck. You know, I played it. It was, it was, it was kind of fun, you know. it's uh, But I, I don't, you know, I don't really play. I, I really just tend to play, I tend to almost only play limited when I'm playing for, you know, to have real fun. Or, right. I like, you know, constructed, it's usually for like, a very competitive event, in which case I'm just trying to, you know, play the best deck I can. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I 
I'll play a lot of Commander online or like at events. I really enjoy EDH, but it's almost always me borrowing other people's decks. I mean, some of the more well-known EDH players, like from around a, a, a PT or something like that, like Shelton Menery, I usually have an extra deck, and he very, he's very generous, lets me borrow it, or, or Brian David Marshall. I mean, some of those people that have always lent me decks, that I really enjoy it. I just... I mean, I haven't been playing competitively for a long time. A lot of my cards are older, and I basically have them sorted, put in a box, and in my basement somewhere. So, like, I haven't dug it out and actually built an EDH deck myself, but I, I play a ton online. Um... But even as far as it goes with that, I mean, you, you still end up with cards that, I don't know, I find the fact that Soul Ring and Mana Crypt are legal in, in ADH yeah. to just be just off the wall. Yeah, it's definitely not like, fun. People are like, oh, it's fun because then you get to, you know, just saying big fast. Well, okay, but it's not really It's only fun, fun for one of you. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, just the games where either one of those cards come out on the first turn, I mean, just... Yeah, great. Ridiculous things happen, but that's really only fun for one person. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you really want that kind of mana acceleration, you should have to dedicate a considerable part of your deck to it, not, not just happen into some of these ridiculous things. So, even in that format, I mean, there's some things that annoy me. Like, they've gone out of their way to just make sure that some really, some really unfun things can't happen. Like, I think you can't have braids as your general. Like, that's a good idea. Like, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. like, that's not fun for anyone. But, well, except for the guy who's totally built his deck around abusing it. But, right. um, I don't know, I just, I view Soul Ring and Mana Crypt to be very similar in that, in that effect. But, I'm sure I'm in the minority. But, I mean, some of those cards are just truly ridiculous. Like, even if you look at vintage decks, some vintage decks don't run all the moxes, but they'll still throw a Soul Ring in there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Soul Ring is incredibly powerful. Like, if you're gonna allow Soul Ring, there's a lot of other cards that should be allowed that aren't. No, just, just my take on it. Fair enough. Now, I know that the, uh, the so-called Finkel drafts are, like, famous. And you guys have been Finkel drafting forever and ever and ever. Do you have a favorite draft format? Uh, I mean, I think Innistrad Block was just fantastic. Uh, just, I mean, the way they made use of, you know, the graveyard. I mean, it really became a part of the game state. There like hasn't. Been, I mean, even in other forms, I've done some graveyard stuff. It's, it's like it's never gone to that level. I mean, I love the fact that you know some of the best decks to draft weren't even drafted for the first you know month of the format. You know, it took you know three weeks in before people really started trying to like mill out their mill out their opponents. Another like, week or two before they were really trying to mill themselves. I mean, I would be playing a Magic Online, and I'd be getting you know gnaws to the bones fifteenth. Like I'd have these decks. It's like you know what do I have? Well, I have like Four knotted bones, like four ghoul callers bells, you know, like two spider spawnings, you know, and like a few walls, and you know, it's just like, you know, it, it was just ridiculous, you know, and, you know, at first, then, you know, everyone's doing it, but I think it was just so great that they had these awesome kind of themes, you know, in the format that just weren't even, like, they were so deep that people just weren't even doing it at first, and it was still a good format at that point. Yeah, it was a great format to start with, and then it's, it's, people started seeing these layers to it that, I mean, the whole format just opened up. I mean, my previous favorite was probably uh, Invasion. Um, I, I just love Invasion or Invasion Planeship or IPA drafting. Um, even when they run it on, on Magic Online, I'll still go back and draft that. And I still actually find that to be a lot of fun. Um, which, some of the sets I'm nostalgic about, I remember it being fun, but going back to it now, it's not nearly as much fun. I, I do like IPA, but Innistrad certainly 
as the top spot for me. I just really think they did an incredible job with that top down, from world building to the theme to the way the cards work together. I mean, just the whole design of it, I thought was truly incredible. Like, I, I just think it's the, I mean, it's a culmination of them doing this for a long, long time and actually learning from all the different lessons that they, they've had to learn from. And I, I really just think they got it absolutely right. Like, I, I'll be thrilled if Return to Ravnica knocks that off the top spot for me. I mean, I, I'll be shocked because it's not that they're not capable of it. They did a fantastic job with Innistrad. I just feel like so many things came together so well in Innistrad. It was just an absolutely great format. I was unexpected. Yeah, I, I expected it to be something from back before my time, but yeah, that's that's great. Well, they didn't really know about did, drafting back then. Yeah. <laughs> Innistrad did. I mean, a lot of people like some of the us being more legacy gamers and we're still friends with some people who don't maybe game as much or at least me personally but I still keep in touch with them and they'll, during Innistrad they'd hear me talk about it and maybe they'd show up at a local store they'd get onto Magic Online and they'd draft a little bit and they'd like, wow this is you're right this is really incredible it actually did a really good job of bringing some people back into the game but I mean the number of things that, that set did right is I mean it's hard to even, you, you can't even enumerate it I mean it's just it's hard to even fathom I, I, to me how many different aspects or different things Watson had to work together on to get it all put together in that set? Just, yeah, I'm just not sure. Like, it's hard for me to, to even, like, <laughs> put out there, like, what would be another you know, set that would get all that stuff as right unless they're kind of just trying to copy that. Uh, I mean, of course, probably the reason why I'm not a designer. And I mean, look, look I, I feel, I have high hopes for, you know, Return to Ravnica. And I thought the first Ravnica block was excellent. I think that with, you know, all the multicolored space, it really adds a lot. Uh, I think it's going to be a great draft format, but it's, you know, the, the bar is so high from Innistrad that it, it's hard to see something else, you know. You know, I'm sure that at some point they will. I, I think it would be a little bit unfair if, you know, some of these other, other sets go forward. They're really excellent limited formats, aren't quite as good as Innistrad to say, oh, it's like a failure, oh, it's not good enough. It's, you know, it's like saying, like, oh, we have a great hitter, but he's no Babe Ruth, you know, he's no Barry right. Bonds, you know, he's no Ted Williams. Well, okay, but, you know... I mean, you know, I don't know, Alex Rodriguez is still a, a, a pretty good baseball player, you know, and I don't know who's, who's like the 21-year-old dude on the Nationals right now who, you know. Yeah, yeah no, it, or even if you throw a corollary with filmmakers. I mean, sometimes filmmakers just have a film where they get everything right, and people oftentimes do measure it against them. The other films are putting out a really good film, but I mean... They're not all if, the Godfather yeah, or something. If, like if that, only they that. hadn't made that great film, this good film we'd think was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, it would be too bad if people do too much, spend too much time measuring against in a structure. But. Yeah. All right, well, I think we've probably monopolized enough of your guys' time here this morning. Uh, I know you have, have one on. more question, if, if you guys have time. Sure. Uh, since Worlds is now defunct in its previous incarnation that it was forever and ever, uh, I wanted to know what you guys thought of the new Worlds and the Players' Championships since you were there for that. So I wasn't at the World Cup. Uh, I think it, I think it was important that they had a, a team world of some sort. Um, you know, the World Cup, uh, I mean, look, there's a finalist. It was uh, Chinese Taipei, Taiwan, and uh, I mean, Poland, right? Or Czech? Uh, no, I thought it was Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Yeah. I'm sorry. Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico. Sorry. So, so, yeah. I, I have cousins in Puerto Rico, but they have the magic so they're not hearing this. Uh, you know, and then look, I mean, you know, I think it was great that you know, two teams maybe were not that expected, you know, were in the finals and, and did very well. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, 
there's a chance that you know that was because maybe the format wasn't that great for you know skill testing. Um, but I, I think that'd probably just be like American arrogance to say that. Uh, so yeah, you know, from what everyone's been there, I've heard uh, you know great things you know about it. So I think that's good. And I was a Players Championship, and I thought it was it was awesome. I mean, it sucks because they've basically taken away a Pro Tour. You know, and you know, I don't know how often I'll be able to qualify for the Players Championship. You know, I, I don't think I can expect to make two top eights in most seasons. You know, three tournaments. I'm not gonna go to enough Grand Prix. He's so humble. I was gonna say, and when it's when it's Finkel saying that, what chance do the rest of us schlubs no, have? No, but I, mean, I mean, look, it, it's just you know, uh, pretty simple. I'm, so over my Pro Tour career, I've made the top eight in a quarter of the Pro Tours I played in, and there's a lot of reasons to think that that's you know, probably on the upper end of my range or higher than my range should be. You know, there's lots of basic statistical stuff where whenever you look at somebody who's kind of on the top end of something, well, if everyone has, like, a range that they're going to fall in, right? So maybe I'm supposed to be sort of, like, 15 and 25%. I mean, the person who's, who's kind of been at the top will probably have just been at the upper end of their range, right? Um, and, of course, a lot of that period was when I was, you know, much more engaged in Magic, uh, where I probably had, you know, more of a likelihood. So, I mean, you know, thinking that I'm going to make two out of three top eights is just, it, it would just be completely unrealistic. Uh, but, I mean, I would love to go back again. I thought it turned out a great feel, so it reminded me a lot of the Invitationals. You know, you got to, you know, spend a lot of time with interact with a lot of top players, you know, that, that for me were, were mostly new to me. You know, like, I got to know some people, like, kind of known them, like, a little bit, you know, got to know them more. I mean, you know, like, Luis Scott Vargas, basically the whole Channel Fireball crew, you know, uh, you know, Josh Adelaiden, you know, Ochoa. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the Kibler I already knew. You know, and also, you know, some of the foreign players, like, you know, Estradi. Uh, you know, Yuza, you know, uh, you know, the Japanese players. I mean, the Japanese players are also just awesome in Magic, right? It's a great card for the Japanese. So, I mean, I, I really love the, the Players' Championship. I, you know, I think, you know, if they add another Pro Tour back, that would just make it perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was disappointing for, for being inducted in the Hall. I mean, Worlds was my favorite tournament of the year, actually, and I was automatically qualified for it. So when they announced that they were getting rid of Worlds, I mean, I actually dropped everything, reshuffled my schedule to make it out to the last one. But um, actually, just for work, I happened to be at Gen Con and then at, in Seattle uh, while they were doing the Players' Championship, and both of them were amazing events. Like, uh, the, the, the World Cup at Gen Con, I mean, just went really well. I mean, talking about opening up magic to a lot of these countries that don't necessarily have the visibility or the opportunity to get into some events like that. I, they just, just, they really did do a great job with the event, and I, I thought the Players' Championship was even better. Like, the coverage they did with it, the way they structured it, I mean, just those players, they, they really had just tier one marquee players, and, and watching the feature match coverage to that was really incredible. I mean, that just the level of play that was consistently on camera the whole way through was truly something special. I mean, it was. They, I really think they hit the nail on the head on, on two ends of the spectrum. It was just unfortunate for me that I kind of fell in the middle of that spectrum and... I mean, yeah, and listen to John say, I don't know how often he can reasonably expect to qualify for the Players' Championship. I certainly just can't. Like, I, I'm going to try to get back to, to playing on the PT again, but I won't, even with only being three a year, I probably won't make it to all of them each year. I'm not heavily in the game right now. I mean, I, I have my own business that I run, and I have a family and, and things like that, and it, it absorbs a lot of the time that I used to pump all of my time into Magic, and that's when I was successful. 
So, although I, I enjoy tournaments like that, I mean, I, it's unrealistic for me to expect to qualify for either of them. So, yeah, I would love it if there was another PT put back so that I'd have the opportunity to attend four PTs. But both of the events that they came up with in the void of worlds actually were spectacular events. But, I mean, to expect them to also to try and find a way to serve, you know, these uh, not very active Hall of Fame players, things like that. I mean, that would be a little self-serving. So, I mean, I think they've done a great job in dealing with the aftermath of getting rid of Worlds. I just feel bad because, I mean, I just kind of, it was my favorite event of the year, and I'm kind of on the outside looking in, but, I mean, so be it. Like I said before, when you look at the bigger picture, I think both of those events are great for Magic, and, and anything that grows grows the game I, 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 is, is good in my book. All right, well... Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for your time and uh, wisdom. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, we appreciate it very much. This uh, has been Chewy and Clues. That's right. Um, thanks and for listening. Very special interview guest uh, interview. Uh, we're here with two of the top four by anyone's reckoning. This has been amazing, and I don't even pay that much attention to poor players. <laughs> so, we appreciate it very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs>